afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. Today we're going to be talking about life under the sun. It is sunny here in southeastern Pennsylvania right now, and it's a good thing because if it were not sunny, it would be very cold because it is cold. Uh, but that's not the kind of life under the sun that we're talking about today. Uh, Chase Byers is with us and Joe Works. Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Good afternoon, Joe. Hello. Hello. Uh, good to see you. Uh, it's almost like I caught you by surprise there. Yeah, uh, I I thought you were going to say hi to Chase first. Uh, no, I'm I, saying hi to Chase last because Chase, good afternoon, and you've gonna you're going to explain to us what we're talking about today, right? Yeah, that's right. It's good to see you both. Thanks for having us on again, Jeff, and it's good to have Joe back. He wasn't with us last week, um, but uh, guys, we're going to be talking about Ecclesiastes today. Uh, there's a phrase that happens over and over again. In fact, from something I was just looking at, 29 different times in the Book of Ecclesiastes. It'll talk about life under the sun or something being under the sun. And I want to go to Ecclesiastes and just spend our time there this afternoon because there are some really important principles, believer or non-believer, that the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to go over with us. Uh, But really, guys, the book of Ecclesiastes is a different animal uh, compared to the rest of the Old Testament. What are some of the things that makes Ecclesiastes unique? in its own uh in its own book compared to the rest of the bible well one of the things that makes it unique is that there are a lot of things that if you just take them out of the context and look at them as isolated statements they're a little shocking um i think of chapter four verses two and three i congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living but better off than both of them is the one who has never existed who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun well, that's pretty cynical thought there. I almost think that belongs in the book of Job someplace instead, uh, as far as Job's attitude toward uh, his bitter uh, events. Or in the book of annihilations. Yeah. 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 Well, and on top of that, phrases like that, and there will be several of those throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. You use the word cynical. I agree. But I think sometimes some of the phrases we see from Kohelet, that's that means the preacher that we're going to talk about in just a second are kind of pessimistic, you know, uh, he's just kind of wishy-washy and, and comes to these really deep and dark depression conclusions. But yeah, Jeff's right. There are some, if you pull some of these passages or some of these, these standalone verses out, they sound kind of odd. Joe, do you have any that kind of go along with that? Yeah. Uh, and again, it's the, it's the principle as Jeff stated uh, similarly earlier there. This is one of those books that you, it's not like Proverbs where you can just read a few verses and get a real gem if you don't read all the way to the end, you're not going to understand how this book goes. Uh, an example of that would be in uh, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 2. Uh, everything occurs alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. As he who takes an oath, as he who fears an oath. So there's no difference between the righteous and the the, the sinner. Uh, you know, it's everything's going to occur to to them the the same. Um, again, that that just seems like such a uh, a contrasting statement to much of the rest of the Bible that paints great contrast between uh, the righteous and the wicked. Yeah, and uh, if you take those phrases by themselves, it, it just, like in, in the one Joe just pointed out, it makes you almost want to come away with the conclusion, so what if you're good or so what if you're bad? We all have the same end, so why does it matter? We're all going to die anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And chapter 10 in verse 19, this is one, 
I hesitate to point out almost because it's so startling. It says men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer to everything. Yes, you heard it here, folks, on Bible Quest. The Bible says money is the answer to everything. (laughs) But again, if you pull these out of their context, it is very odd. And that's what I think a lot of people are tempted to do with the book of Ecclesiastes. And that's why I titled the podcast like I did, Life Under the Sun, because that's really the parameters that Koheleth, the preacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is giving to us. He's giving us the parameters of, of this is what life looks like under the sun. And so when we come to those conclusions, it's supposed to push us beyond the sun and look to God. Uh, and so anyways, those are just some introductory comments. Any other thoughts or comments on that, guys? No, I, I, I think that kind of sets the stage. Uh, so we're going to get into chapter one and just start into it. Yeah, let's just go ahead and start in on chapter one. Uh, in fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, the name of Ecclesiastes is actually quite fascinating. Um, in chapter one and verse one, it says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. This word we have for preacher here comes from a Hebrew word that's kohilat. And from the best of the Hebrew scholars' uh, knowledge, that word really is the idea of somebody who sits in an assembly, somebody who's sitting and maybe teaching in an assembly. And so from that, they gather preacher, someone who is a preacher, or the NIV here translates it as the words of the teacher. And so when you get into Greek, Jeff, what is the Greek word for assembly? Ecclesia. Yeah, and doesn't that sound very similar to Ecclesiastes? Well, that's because once we had the Septuagint, you know, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's what it was being referred to as. And so it's a transliteration. And so it's interesting that one of our Old Testament books written in Hebrew actually goes by a Greek name today, uh, which is, I think, really, really cool. But we're introduced to this guy. Yeah, go ahead. And just to say, uh, Ecclesiastes, as it is in the Septuagint, would be evangelist, who is somebody who's making an announcement, proclaiming something. Philip is an evangelist in Acts chapter 21. But it is interesting, the guy, the Kohilat, the preacher's goal throughout this book, because if I preached lessons as an evangelist the same way that he did, I don't know if I'd be able to stick around the way as, no. as long as I have with the local church. Let me, let me, I, I misspoke. I'm, I'm not thinking right. Um, <laughs> you on Galleon? Yeah, I'm confusing. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's embarrassing. I didn't want to, I didn't want to correct my Greek professor because then <laughs> it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really backfire well on me if I was wrong. So I didn't say yeah, anything. No, I, 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 I don't know. I did a senior moment there. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Boomer. Um, but in, in, in in chapter one, in verse two, uh, he starts off by saying, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And that really sets up the book quite well for us. Life under the sun is vain, it's empty, and the only conclusion you're going to come to is that all of this is meaningless. In fact, I believe the NIV here, it says, uh, meaningless is meaningless, all is meaningless, or something along those lines. And that's really the idea. That's that's his opening line, and that's what he's introducing us to. And that is certainly a great hook. I mean, you're trying to figure out, as we're studying the scriptures, and one of the 66 books begins with this uh, statement about five times in one verse to proclaim that 
that this is useless, that, that, that what we are doing is, is worthless. It, there's, there's only frustration and uh, uh, no profit to it. That, that just seems rather, rather striking in, in light of how much of the rest of the scriptures is wanting us to understand the value of life. Yeah. Very good. Go ahead, Jeff. There's this picture in verse, verse 5 and following that kind of maybe helps set up this, this idea of life under the sun. Yeah, w- uh, will you go ahead and read 3 through 7? All right. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing toward the south then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. There's a certain monotony described there, a certain repetition of just, of just sameness. It just keeps going. It's just the same. Uh, this is the way it is under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. And, uh, and so what really the book of Ecclesiastes seems to be a search for the meaning of life. And you're not going to find the meaning of life if you just look at life under the sun. You're not going to find some new revelation, something new that goes, ah, here's where it's all about. Life under the sun is life simply from an earthly temporal perspective. Yeah, and I think that's a really helpful thing to point out. Uh, The overall question that this man is trying to answer is, why are we here? What is the meaning of all of this? And he is going to be using wisdom to answer those very same questions. Uh, Jeff just read for us three through seven, and I'm just kind of reiterating what he said. I think it does a wonderful job of just showing us how without the idea of God in the picture, just how meaningless and repetitive everything is. Uh, And he brings up several different examples about the sun rising and the sun setting, the generation coming and a generation going. Uh, Same with the, the wind, you know, it goes to the north, it goes to the south and so forth and so on. And he's just expounding on this idea of under the sun, all of this feels vain. It feels empty. It feels meaningless because it just keeps repeating itself. And verses eight through nine really give his reaction to what he's just said about the sun and the wind and and the rivers. His reaction is verse eight, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. You may think that you're experiencing something new, but it's been done before. You may not remember that it's been done before, but it's just the monotony of the sun rising and setting, the river continually flowing, and uh, that's all it's going to do if, if you just look at it under the sun. Yeah, and, and we're never going to be satisfied with those things. And at the end of verse 8, I really like it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. Guys, you know, Jeff, you're, you're a boomer. Uh, Joe, you're on you know, the fence of that. Jeff, have you ever gotten to a point in your life where you've went, oh, you know what? I've seen enough. I'm just going to take my eyes and tear them out because I'm done with them. You know, I've seen enough. <laughs> no, your, like your seeing- eyes are 
<laughs> yeah, you're you're never satisfied. You you're never going to be satisfied with seeing enough. And the yeah. same thing with hearing. At no point do we ever say, you know what, I'm done hearing. Uh, I've I've heard enough, and so I'm just going to you know rip out my eardrums. No, the ear is never satisfied with hearing, and that's pushing him to the conclusion. What are we here for? What what is this vain repetition for? If we're not going to be satisfied, uh, verse ten is really really interesting. Uh, is there anything of one? Uh, which one might say, see, this is it new. Uh, my dad and I uh, just went to the train museum uh, there in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, last uh, yesterday, actually. And it was just really interesting to get to see all these big trains and, and so forth and so on. But all of them are irrelevant now. The, the train industry is dying. And I just think back to the, the 30s and 40s when they were coming out with these diesel trains and such. And people were looking at this, you know, this is, this is revolutionary. You know, this is going to change everything about transportation. And then they continued to develop the airplane and, and cars and, and all these other ways of, of transportation. That's the key there. Transportation has always been the same. And, and to look at it and say, this is a new thing is foolish because it's already been done before. And uh, I think that's, that's the biggest point I pull out of verse 10. And, and I think it's especially helpful maybe to put all of that in the context of verse one. This is the king of Jerusalem that's saying these things. He has, you know, if you think about, is there anybody who has seen everything? You know, you would think a king, you know, a, a ruler of a nation, he's experienced everything. Surely he has found satisfaction. He's, uh, he's recognized, you know, what's the meaning of life and, and that sort of thing. But he's the one that's making this argument that under the sun, whatever there is around us, it may be in a different color. It may be, you know, uh, in a different size box, but it's the same old stuff. And it's, it's not going to bring satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. And I think applying this kind of on a larger scale, I think sometimes generations can be tempted to saying, well, this generation is being tempted in ways I never was. No, that's actually not exactly right. Sin has always been a problem. Satan has been using the same tactics since the garden. It's just been presenting itself in a different way. There is nothing new under the sun when it comes to those things. And Chase, you pointed out, you know, the writer presents himself, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. This is somebody who, if anybody had the resources to experience life at its fullest and find the meaning of life, if if it could be found in that manner, he did. And so starting in verse 12, he starts to talk about all the things that he did, what he experimented with, what he tried out to see if this is where the meaning of life can be found. Yes. Ready to start in there? Uh, yeah, I do want to. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll go ahead and start in. Uh, Joe, do you mind to read 12 down to verse 15? And we'll work on those verses. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that was done under heaven. This grievous task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity, grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. Like uh, Jeff just pointed out, the preacher, he's the king over Israel, over all of Jerusalem. And he says, I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. And look at the conclusion he comes to at the end of verse 13. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. 
You know what that tells me? God made us to ask these types of questions. I don't think it's wrong of us to want to sit and ponder what the meaning of life is. I do believe God made us to want to sit there and think through those very questions. But once we start doing it, Kohelet, the preacher, is quick to say, it's a grievous task and you're going to be afflicted with it. Because under the sun, you're going to come away with some conclusions that are hard to hear. He'll say in verse 18, I know I'm jumping ahead of myself. He says, in much wisdom, there's much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Searching for these answers is going to hurt. But the conclusion, when all has been said in chapter 12, is going to be fear God and keep his commandments. That's where you'll find your fulfillment. So I, I just think it's really interesting there that he, he spot on says, wrestling with this question is not going to be easy. It's a grievous task that God has given you. So you read verse 18, verses 16 through 18, describe his effort to look at wisdom and he's going to become as wise as he can. And, and does that provide the answer? Verse 16, I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. Um, verse 17, I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I'm going to learn what's wise and what's folly. And where does he end up? Well, in much wisdom, there's much grief. Increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. That didn't give him satisfaction. So in chapter two, he's going to say, well, let's try pleasure. Instead of focusing on being wise, maybe the thing is just find pleasure. And maybe that's going to give meaning to life. So yeah, he tries it. Yeah, well, let's, let's go ahead and dig in there. In chapter two, we'll just read verse one and two. He says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? Uh, he starts off and I believe verses one through eight, they're all going to work out into five different categories and they all start with a W. So it's easy to remember. This first one is whimsy. He, he turns to, to the whimsies of life, to laughter and to folly and to these types of things. And he's trying to find fulfillment in it, in laughter, and he can't find it. And this especially speaks to, I think, every, every person everywhere, but especially I think the younger generation, this is something we need to heed we're always looking for something fun. We're always looking for something to laugh about. And if we're just happy, go easy all the time and always looking for something to laugh about, it'll get exhausting. Eventually you're not going to find your fulfillment in that it's futility. It's vain. It's empty. You're not going to find what you want in it. Um, it's not going to accomplish what you're looking for. Right, let's see if we can guess the next few W's. All right. Uh, verse three, uh, Jeff, you want to read that? Uh, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. So I'm guessing here, wine? Uh, yeah, yeah, you got it exactly right. I was trying to think of another W word just to throw you off, but I couldn't <laughs> think of one. But yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Wine. He tries to fill his, his life with alcohol and, and the taste of wine and that type of thing. And again, uh, kind of a cynical conclusion, even in, at the end of verse three, uh, you know, until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven, the few years of their lives. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, they're going to have, typically a person's going to have 80 years to live, but he, you know, he's just calling it a few years to live, uh, in, in comparison. In, with in fact, the, this word for vanity is sometimes translated as breath. 
uh, Job will talk about it as just being, you know, a vapor and a breath. And so it, it is fitting that we, we think of our lives as that vapor, as that breath passes quickly, even though we may think of it as a long span, certainly as those older boomers, you know, uh, are recognizing that, uh, you know, boy, I look back on my life and it's just flown past. Um, as I'm looking at this, the end of chapter one, the beginning of chapter two, I can't help but think about a college campus. You have some people who have simply poured themselves into learning and to knowing everything, and they're going to be educated, and you know they're going to be respected for all that they have uh, attained, the degrees that they have, and they come out without really understanding anything that is truly profitable if, if that's where their focus has been. And on the other side, you have the, the frat boy who is just living it up, uh, pleasure, party every night, sometimes, you know, doesn't really study or whatever. You sort of see that contrast uh, in a, on a college campus. You can imagine, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Oh, I'm going to have fun. And the, and the guy over here studying is saying, oh, he's wasting his life. But in actuality, to both of them, uh, the preacher is saying that, that both of them are wasting their lives if that's what their focus is. Right. If that's where they're trying to find their fulfillment and their purpose, they're eventually going to come to a very bleak conclusion. And uh, he's going to tell us what that bleak conclusion is here in just a minute. Yeah, oh, we talk about the, the college campus and you've got the very studious student and you've got the, uh, the, the frat boy. Verse 15 says, then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been exceedingly wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. The yeah. frat boy and the good student are both going to end up alike. They're going to both end up dead. And so then what's the point? That's kind of where the writer is, which is a very nihilistic, a very despairing way of thinking. And, and the, the thing is, by the time we get to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, we see what does give meaning to life. But so far, it's not in wisdom. And it's not in pleasure, it's not in wine, and what, verse 4, not in works? Uh, yep, that's right, not in your work. Yeah, verse 4, uh, he says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. And I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. Guys, uh, have you ever built a house? Or contract to have a house built. Finished the basement. You finished the basement. Okay. Well, for our purposes, we'll count it. All right. Thank you. Have you ever planted a vineyard? No. You've planted a garden. garden. Have you ever planted a park or made a park? No. Have you all ever uh, made a pond? Wanted to, but all the regulations and red tape and bureaucracy kind of... Yeah, you can't just put a pool of water anywhere you want. But here's the point I'm getting at. These are not just like casual projects that people undergo you know, in their life. This is somebody who's got resources, man. This yeah. is somebody who's really going after it. Right. And he did. He tried to find fulfillment in, in working and building these beautiful things. But it was like striving after the wind. It didn't, it didn't give him what he wanted. And how often... Going back to what Joe said on the college campus, but just life in general, that really sums it up. People trying to find fulfillment in laughter or whimsy, in alcohol or wine, and in work. That's where they try to find fulfillment. 
Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter how much of yourself you pour into that, you're not getting out of it uh, what you thought you would. And Satan will convince us that we will. But, but I'm already jumping ahead of myself. We, we don't. All right. Uh, verse 7 and 8 actually kind of combine for two. Um, Joe, you want to read verse 7 and 8? I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, musical instruments of all kinds. So can you guys guess what the two W's are there? Wealth. The end of verse eight will give me the other one. Women. Women. Wealth and women. He tries to find satisfaction in those two things. He buys male and female slaves. He even had homeborn slaves, you know, and I think the idea there is that they were producing. I mean, that he had a very successful even slave trade going on. Um, he possessed flocks, herds larger than everyone. He had the silver and the gold, the male and female singers, and then women. How many people do we know go after those two things? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, so many times up. I've I've heard somebody say, well, "But but God wants me to be happy," and they will use that to justify um, a, an illicit relationship, divorcing a a spouse to marry somebody else, um, and and they think they're going to find happiness in in this woman. God wants me to be happy, or the woman may say it if she's seeking it in, in a man. God wants me to be happy. And they're, they're trying to, to find what's, what the preacher here was trying to find. And he had the resources to do it far more extravagantly and thoroughly. And he didn't find it there. Yeah. Well, and it's also good to note in verse nine, this is kind of, this is what I call like the conclusion of his tests. You know, he ran this series of trials. He had an, a hypothesis and he, he ran his trials and tests and, in verse 9, he says, I became great and increased more than all who proceeded before me in Jerusalem. And listen, at the end of verse 9, he says, my wisdom also stood by me. So in running these tests, he didn't lose sight of what he was trying to do. He was trying to find fulfillment in it. Mm -hmm. His wisdom stood by him as he was doing these things. And that's a really important thing to see. Because we can have wisdom, but still be a fool in our actions and in, in what we're trying to find satisfaction in. And that's a really important point to see because yeah, I know a lot of wise guys and a lot of wise women, but they make foolish decisions. And I, I think it's just so critical to understand. He's not just looking back on his life and saying, Oh, I did these things and they didn't work out. He's really sort of doing a science experiment and, and, and calculating, okay, how does this, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. So th th this is really methodical, it seems like, for the, this, uh, this person um, as he's going through. It, it, he's really presenting a studied lesson uh, of life here. Yeah, and I think that's a helpful distinction to make. This is not somebody on their deathbed looking back on what they've done, but this is somebody who was very purposeful in the experiment that they were, t that they were doing. Very good point. So in verse 10, let's read his conclusion of this test he ran. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. Thus, I considered all my activities, 
which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So if you're not going to find hope and comfort and peace and fulfillment and worth in those things, what do you have left under the sun? You have nothing. Under the sun, you have nothing left if you can't find fulfillment in those things. And I do want to highlight what he says in verse 12 about this. He says, so I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I'll tell you guys what I think that means. I think what he's saying is, what other conclusion is someone else going to come to? Somebody can come after me and do the same series of, of, of tests if they want, but they're going to come away with the same exact conclusion that I have. Right. And so from that, I pull away, don't do it. And when, when I, I actually had somebody study this with me as I was going into college, this very section, they said, he is telling you, don't even try these same tests because it, it's a waste of your time because you're just going to come away with the same conclusion I did. Let me, he's saying, let me save you some time. Stop right there and get to the end of the book. You need to fear God. Because I think that's the idea in verse 12. Thoughts or comments, guys? And so what would we do if we're not going to do these things? If these aren't going to be the focus of my life, if I'm not going to, to live to be, uh, you know, have all information, if I'm not going to party it up, if I'm not going to climb the corporate ladder or to, to build the bigger and the better, if I'm not going to enjoy life in these things, what else is there? Where else should I go then? I mean, we got to go to the Lord. We got to look above the sun. We got to look past the sun. And that's the whole conclusion he's coming to. I do want to say one other thing about chapter two, and then we'll go to the end of the book. In chapter two and verse 17, from the under the sun perspective, this is why he says, so I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility in striving after wind. And that's why we have to understand these statements these odd statements in the book of Ecclesiastes within the context, he's looking at everything down here. And when he's done all this test and he's done all these trials, he's saying, "Mm -mm, it's not worth it. I hate life. If this is all that it has to offer, um, of course you're going to hate life. So anyways, um, but Joe's exactly right. We'll turn over to chapter 12 now, but Jeff, did you have something? I I don't know if, if suicide rates are really up. Um, nationwide or worldwide, but we do hear certainly in certain categories, suicide rates are up. Uh, in the Navy, there's a, a, a particular aircraft carrier where there have been several several suicides. Uh, people, veterans coming back, suicide has, has been highlighted as, as a growing problem. Young people, uh, you never used to hear of teenagers killing themselves. I mean, that was just a... It, if it ever happened, it was like, wow, that's just so unusual. And yet now we hear about teenagers killing themselves. Um, and and you have to see a connection between increasing numbers of suicides and a population that is further and further from God and further and further from understanding the point of life. Here in the book of Ecclesiastes, as, as the writer goes through looking for the meaning of life and he says, it's not here, it's not there. 
is, and he says, I hated life. Uh, then you get to the point where he says that, that what I read a few minutes ago at the very outset, chapter four, verse uh, two and three, where he says he congratulates the dead. They're better than living. And in verse four, better off is the one who's never even existed. And, and you can see if you looked at life and there was no meaning, no lasting meaning, no uh, overarching meaning to life. And you said, sure, I can get some pleasure here and there, but it's temporary. And the fact is, there's a lot of pain that comes with it. I, I immerse myself in, in stimulants and I end up with uh, serious health issues because of my drinking or my drug abuse. I, I turn to sexual sexuality, sexual promiscuity, and I end up with uh, some kind of diseases uh, or, or children that I don't even know who write me and tell me I'm their father and that I owe them money or the government telling me I owe you know, child support and all of this. And and, and just all the problems that come with it. And you can see why somebody could end up saying, you know what, it's just not worth it. I'm just going to end it all. And, and yet the writer of Ecclesiastes ends up saying, no, there, there is meaning to life, but it's not what is under the sun. Uh, the, everything you're saying, Jeff, it even reminds, reminds me of chapter 6 uh, in verse 3. Um, this is another one of those odd Ecclesiastes statements. Um, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say better the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility and goes into obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Um, but yeah, it's, it's no wonder without God, why people are wanting to end their lives. They're not finding fulfillment in him. And so better off, you know, the miscarriage than he, you know, better off dead. I, I am because I don't have a purpose. And so again, putting this in the context of, uh, I think it's Solomon is the, the writer of this, but as the, the son of David preacher in, uh, King in Israel, um, sort of as he's saying some of these things uh, you stopped there in um, verse uh, chapter 2 and verse 18 um, I must leave it to the man who will come after me who knows who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool yeah. Yeah. then you just you know you turn the page in the in the book uh, in, in first Kings and who is Solomon's uh, heir to the the throne Rehoboam Rehoboam and uh, you know, he loses, you know, the tribes and, you know, everything just falls. He splits the kingdom. <laughs> but the same thing is true for us. If we are living to acquire properties and cars and fame and whatever else, and then we leave those to our children, and maybe our children will be faithful, we hope. But, you know, eventually, all that's going to go to nothing. Uh, you know, eventually it will. And so there's just no meaning to life under the sun. If I'm trying to make a name for myself or build something for myself, it just doesn't happen. It's the idea of storing up treasures on earth rather than storing up treasures in heaven. You know, we make this point a lot. Even if you could live forever, none of the stuff you accumulate is going to give you fulfillment. Right. Even if you were able to take those things with you, they're going to perish. And so it's just, it's all vanity. It's all useless. And so it's, it's though those conclusions are pushing us to a higher calling. It's making us to look up 
and look beyond the sun. And uh, coming over to chapter 12, this is an interesting, well, for what it's worth, I just want to point this out. Look at chapter 12 and verse 8. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. There's actually a pretty interesting theory that Koheleth, the preacher, maybe Solomon, like Joe just suggested, this might be the end of his words. And if it was an editor, because it would be Solomon speaking in the third person here, if it really was him, while he also speaks in the first person. But in verse 9, who, if it is the preacher or if it is just an editor, whatever the case be, in verse 9, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. And another allusion to why many people think it's Solomon, by the way. And the preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. And the words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. And the conclusion when all has been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. He talks about what the preacher has just, you know, what the preacher has spent his life doing and, and trying to accomplish. And verse 12 really stands out to me. Beyond this, my son, be warned. We kind of learn a little bit about who the audience was of whoever collected this or whoever put this together. It was Solomon who wrote the whole thing. It was a father to a son. But how many times do our parents, or I think about my, my dad and mom, they just left this morning, they visited. And I look back on all those things my dad was trying to warn me about, and I just wouldn't listen to. Mm-hmm. But he's been through it. He's tried these things. And so it's foolish of us to not listen. But the big conclusion he's getting to is you need to fear the Lord. You need to look past the sun and look up to God. And you need to fear him because he controls your life, whether you're good or whether you're evil. And you need to keep his commandments. But anyways, I just painted 9 through 14 with a broad brush. What do you guys want to bring out from those last few verses? Well, are you ready to go on down? Are you you went nine through twelve? Uh, I read I read thirteen and fourteen, but you can go wherever you want. Well, let's go to, go to thirteen. So, how did how did your translation read in verse thirteen? The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. Yeah, so that's the New American Standard. Uh, I think the King James said, "But this is the whole duty of man." And oh. in the New American Standard, they've added the word "applies," and the King James, they've added the word "duty." Um, if you take out those added words, the new American standard would be fear God and keep his commandments because this, uh, is every person, uh, in the King James, it would be, this is the whole of man. Um, it's not just something to do. That's, that's what we are. We are created to be people who fear God and keep his commandments. And when we live that way, then our lives have meaning. And uh, and some of the New King James, not all of them, but some of them have it translated as fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. Yeah. Uh, And it's, this is what life is. This is, this is what we ought to be about. Um, And and this will bring 
the fulfillment to life. Because they, it gives something beyond the sun. Uh, under the sun, no, there is no meaning. But there's an eternity beyond the sun. Um, and God is beyond the sun. And so if we're in harmony with God, there's something beyond the sun. Uh, backing up to um, up to chapter 12 and verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Uh, coming down also to verse 6. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Is, You're is gonna this, die. Is this the preacher's way of saying "Okay, boomer"? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe it is. But so, he's saying, "Go ahead, Joe." Well, I, I just say, here's the scene, and and you, nobody has to agree with this, but but here's what I envision happening. Um, Solomon is sitting on his throne, and so you have this audience, this assembly, this ecclesia, then this assembly, his children are there, uh, and, you know, people are listening, and you have a recorder off to the side that is writing down what he's saying, and so these are the words of the preacher, the the, the proclaimer here, um, uh, and as he's going through this, he's saying these things. I am picturing this, based on particularly this last chapter, that this is Solomon toward the end of his life, and so he's made the mistakes that he's made that we read about. And uh, he has lived life to the fullest in every respect. And, and as he thinks about all of these things that he has done, some carefully, as we said earlier, almost scientifically studied, some perhaps not. Uh, but he just realizes, listen, for you younger people, pay attention to this. Uh, don't make the same mistakes. Don't live your life for these kinds of things. There is something that is worth living life for, but it's only going to be found in God. And so the, the, then the, the recorder then is giving this last paragraph or so as he has finished speaking, and then maybe Solomon utters some other, more words here, or this is just the logical conclusion, the spiritual conclusion. Yeah, I, I, th I think you got it exactly right. Um... And these are conclusions that we will come to if we try to find fulfillment in the same things. And so uh, to, to those out there who are listening who are Christians, I encourage a study through of Ecclesiastes for your own help and your own faith. But I would also encourage you, if you know of anyone who is an unbeliever, who doesn't believe in God and, and believes in atheism or, or is maybe an agnostic, I would encourage you to read this book with them. And read it in its entirety, study it through them with, it, with them in its entirety, because it is going to bring up some really important questions that everybody needs to think through. Uh, and so that would be my encouragement to our Christian audience. Uh, but to our non-Christian audience, if these are some questions you've been wrestling with, I uh, hope this podcast has been helpful for you to think through the meaning of life and, and searching for it. And we hope that this has given you the push that you need to consider God and what his commandments are. If you want to know more about what God's commandments are, you feel free to send us a, a message uh, either here on the Zoom app or, um, or through our Facebook page or whatever you need that through or whatever is best for you. But guys, uh, that is our time. Uh, appreciate you all being on today. I think this has been a helpful podcast, especially for me. It's always good to think about the brevity and the purpose of life. And so 
until next time, uh, we'll see everyone back next Wednesday at three o'clock. Thank you guys.